Welcome to the Contrast Church Podcast. Contrast is located in Grandview, Ohio, with the mission to help people be with Jesus, become like Him, and live out His mission together. For more information on attending our meetings, our missional communities, or giving, visit contrast.church. Well, good morning, Contrast Church. Uh, First off, I want to say thank you, Trey, for all of your kind words. Um, It's been an absolute pleasure being a part of Contrast since uh, pretty much day one of moving down here with no other job yet. Um, Things were a little sketchy financially, but we made it work. And um, yeah, three years later, it's just so cool to see how Contrast has grown and how God has just moved so much in, in my life and in, I'm sure, people like all of us who've shared stories and and are in core groups and stuff. So just very grateful for the opportunity to be here um, and to serve on the staff team. Uh, I am not the pastor of Contrast Church. I am the worship director. Um, So I feel very weird without a guitar in my hands. I don't really know what to do with them. So if they're awkward, I apologize. Um, Usually I'm playing keys or I'm strumming or something. So I'll do do my best. Um, But I am excited to be here with you morning, be with you this morning teaching. Um, first, I'm going to do a little like kind of guest uh, introduction thing. I know most of you, and you probably, most of you know me, but if it's your first time or if you don't know these fun facts about myself, I'm going to do that first. So first thing is um, I just got to celebrate my one-year anniversary with my wonderful wife, Lydia. So praise God for that. Uh, one year down, hopefully many more to come. Um, I will say we did save most of our cake, the wedding cake, and froze it for the full year. It took like 30% of our freezer, and it was very mediocre. <laughs> it was super freezer burnt and just not the best. So if you're about to get married, uh, it's not really worth saving, um, in my personal opinion. Maybe she disagrees with me, but I think it was a little overhyped. Um, but anyway, so that's been, that's been great. Um, two, I have a few other fun facts about myself. One is I'm a huge Kansas City Chiefs fan. If you've known me for a little bit, you probably already know that, but I actually grew up in Kansas, have been in Ohio for about a dozen years now, but uh, when I was like 10 or 11 or whatever in this picture, I, this was actually taken at my school. Um, I got to wear my Halloween costume. I was number 27, Larry Johnson, the running back. Um, so big Chiefs guy, uh, super excited for Thursday night, first Chiefs game of the year. Gonna be great. Um, the next one is the first time I ever went flying was when I went skydiving at 18 years old. Um, I was a freshman in college, and I had two friends that went with me. It was a total blast, uh, but it was one of the scariest and sketchiest things of my life. I mean, jumping out of a plane is always scary, but this specific company, like it worked out, I'm, I'm here, you know, everything was fine, but uh, it was very scary. We like showed up, we drove two hours from Bowling Green to this tiny, tiny farm town, mid-Ohio. I don't even know the name of it. And there's nothing around for miles. We parked in a gravel parking lot. The training center was a trailer that was just like parked there. So they had all the gear in there and the instructor and they like, they were, you know, told us what to do and what not to do and all that. And then we got in this tiny little plane, took off on a grass runway. I was like, for sure we're gonna die. I mean like, this is the end, this this is just it. Um, But we jumped out. This was my instructor, Dave, he was great. Um, super fun. If you ever want to go skydiving and you can convince my wife to let me go, I'll go again. I would do it again. Um, but that might be a hard conversation. So good luck with that. Um, okay, so now that you know a bit about me, um, 
Let's jump into the last two verses of James and close that out together. Uh, quick recap, this is our 12th Sunday. Uh, we've spent most of the summer in the book of James. Um, and in case this is your first week, uh, or you have the memory of a small frog like myself, I'm going to recap the book a little bit for us. Uh, James is Jesus' half-brother, and this book is a culmination of all of James's teachings. Um, and actually, he, he takes some stuff from the, the book of Proverbs. He takes stuff directly from the teachings of Jesus in this time and mashes it all up into this book. Um, the book is really written in a very direct and action-provoking way. It's not, uh, it's not passive. It's not um, just you know, this beautiful like poetic story. It's very like, this is what you should do if you follow Jesus, and this is how you should do it. So it's, it's been really cool, and I've, I've really enjoyed um, taking a nice, slow stroll through it this summer. So I'm going to read the verses for us. We are in James chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. Um, here, in contrast, we read out of the NET version. Here we go. My brothers and sisters, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, he should know that the one who turns a sinner back from his wandering path will save that person's soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. So just like in the rest of the book of James, uh, he does not pull any punches. He's not giving you a nice pat on the back. Hey, thanks for reading. We'll see you later. Um, there's a lot in these two verses, and, and they require action. Um, he, he's making a very powerful statement here that as brothers and sisters in Christ, we have the power through Jesus to save each other, um, each other's soul from death. So this, this very first part, my brothers and sisters, who is he talking about here? Well, he's talking about, um, sorry, let me, let me back up a second. This book is unique in the way that it's written for a very broad audience at the time. It's not written to a specific church. It's written to all Jesus followers. Um, and because of that, because it's a little bit more broad, it's as, it's as applicable today as it was 2,000 years ago when it was first written. James is addressing any person who considers themselves to be a follower of Jesus. No one is exempt here. And this is important context as we move on through the other, uh, other verse. Oftentimes, I assume uh, the responsibility for things like this, you know, the idea of saving someone's soul is the pastor's role. Like, that's, that's what Trey gets paid for, right? Um, but in, in this context, James is not saying that it's any specific type of person. He's saying anyone who professes that Jesus is their Lord um, has this responsibility. And so we can't, we can't just depend on the elders or our pastors, um, or people who went to seminary, we are all part of this, and no one's exempt from that. Okay, so this next little section, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, among you here refers to people who have professed to be Jesus followers at some point in their lives. This passage isn't about winning unconverted Christians or unconverted people for the first time. It's actually a passage about helping fellow Christians who are stuck in sin patterns, or headed in a direction away from Jesus. Just like with the umbrella that James used before, um, he's not excluding anyone here from the possibility of wandering. So just as we are all responsible to each other, we are all um, at risk of wandering from our faith. Uh, and unfortunately, I don't, I'm sure you don't have to think very long and hard to identify people in your life that you know personally or maybe have just read headlines 
um, of people that have wandered from, from their faith. But what does James mean here by the term wander? That's not a word I use like every day. Um, so I looked it up, and Merriam-Webster gives two definitions for the word. One is to move about without a fixed course, aim, or goal. And the second is to go astray as from a course. And I was trying to tie in like a nice personal story of like this one time I was in the woods and I got lost and my buddy helped me like get back on the path. That would have been like perfect, but I don't have any of those stories. Um, I think a lot of that is because we live in an age where we all have GPS on our phones. Um, there's really no excuse to get lost in 2023. Like if you're lost, you're bad at your phone <laughs> and it's kind of on you. Uh, we have access to every single map known to mankind. So don't get lost. Um, but my brain does get lost. My brain has a tendency to wander many times a day. Um, my lovely wife will sometimes ask me wh where there's like a lull in a conversation, we're having dinner, she'll be like, what are you thinking about? And I'll tell her, nothing at all. <laughs> and it's absolutely true. <laughs> um, my brain can just stop and I can exist in the nothing box. Hers does not do that, that's very foreign to her. Um, but I was, I was thinking like if my brain existed in that state, forever, where would I end up? And it would be a scary place, for sure. Um, I, I think it would be really easy to lose focus of what's important in my life. The scary thing about wandering, whether it is physical or spiritual, is that um, time is against you when you're wandering. When you're, headed in the wrong, when you're headed in the wrong direction, the longer that you're traveling in that direction, the farther you get from your goal. So, for example, if you were to plan a trip, a uh, sailing trip, let's say, from Boston, Massachusetts to the United Kingdom, and you're off by only a few degrees when you're navigating on your compass, you could end up having very authentic linguine instead of fish and chips when you arrive at your destination. So it's very important to correct that um, and for us to correct each other. And the very same thing can happen when we start to wander from the life Jesus calls us to live. And over the course of days, weeks, months, years, decades, we can find ourselves in very unfamiliar territory and really far from the goal or the, or the objective that we had set. So the last part of verse 19 uh, says, and someone turns him back. So it's very intentional here that James does not write, and the wanderer turns himself back, or eventually the wanderer finds their way home, but instead emphasizes the fact that us brothers and sisters in Christ must take action. When people are wandering from lack of focus, the distractions of the world, or even false teachings of other people, they are unable to correct their own direction. Now, God can and has um, redirected people in miraculous ways. I think of Paul, Saul, now Paul, and the way that God in, uh, intervened with him, but God does this amazing thing where he uses his people to correct each other. Um, like I said, he has the power to do it on his own, but he chooses to use uh, the broken and messy people that are myself and you um, to have this responsibility. And that's one of my favorite things about God and who he is and his character. Um, I should put an asterisk here and say, we are, of course, not capable of doing this on our own. Um, only God has the power to actually forgive sins and save someone's soul. But he has created this beautiful ecosystem that is the church so that we can have community in a powerful and life-changing way. Verse 20 says, 
He should know that the one who turns a sinner back from his wandering path will save that person's soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. The stakes here could not be higher. We are literally talking about a matter of life and death that has eternal spiritual impacts. And not just on strangers, but it's on the people that we know and love around us. I don't think we can overemphasize the weight of this, even if we tried to. I tried to put myself in the shoes of someone who is this metaphorical wanderer and you know, try to figure out how I would respond to someone trying to correct my path. And I'd like to think that it would be uh, a graceful and full of forgiving conversation. I don't know. <laughs> it might be a little bit messier than that. It might be a little bit more um, complicated than that. But regardless, in the end, I would certainly be thankful. Um, over the last three summers, I've become a pretty avid fisherman, uh, as Trey pointed out. Um, I grew up like catching bluegill and little bass and stuff with my grandpa. Um, my family's not, my, my nuclear family's not very outdoorsy at all. You'll never find them like hiking or going on camping trips. We did one camping trip one time ever <laughs> in the history of our family. Uh, which shows you that we are just not really that type of people. But over these last few years, um, I've been able to fish with some friends here at the church and, and family members, and I've, I've really experienced that I, I connect to God a lot through nature, um, whether it's admiring like a stream or the trees or the seasons changing or a big slimy fish. Um, I think all of it points to the beauty of God, and I feel connected to him in that way. And I've, I've noticed this really interesting pattern with fish. So the smaller ones are typically younger, and when you catch them, they fight like crazy in the water, and then you pull them out of the water, and they still fight like crazy on land until the second you get them back in the water. But with some of these older, bigger fish that I've caught, they don't do that. They will fight like crazy in the water, and as soon as you get them onto land, they kind of just give up. They're like, all right, man, you win. There's nothing I can do to save myself. I'm at your mercy. Um, and so then, you know, I, I unhook them, take a nice little picture, and, and send them back. You might be asking why you're talking about fish here. Well, we are fishers of men, so there's our connection. Um, but I think, you know, if, if we're to take that same idea and, and apply it to ourselves, the more that we engage in these conversations, like having them and also receiving them from people, the more natural it will become, and, and the more we're willing to you know, have grace and approach those situations with less pride and say, hey, you're right. Thank you for telling me that you know, I've, I've been lacking my spiritual discipline or I've missed a few Sundays at church and I just don't care that I'm missing it. You know, like, the more that we engage in that and, and also have those conversations, the better we're going to be at responding to them. Um, being someone who's willing to have those conversations and actually engage with people who I think are struggling is really hard for me and I'm sure for a lot of you too. Um, and ever since I was like a baby Christian in middle school youth group and high school youth group, uh, I've always kind of avoided that responsibility. I've always been like, ah, someone else will take care of it. Like, I'm, I'm not the pastor, you know. Someone else will do it for me. Um, but, but like I said, James here is challenging us, each and every one of us, who say that we are followers of Jesus. And another interesting thing to note here is that James doesn't even entertain the what if in this passage. He doesn't say, 
oh, what if the conversation goes poorly and someone gets mad at you and you end a friendship or you create a rift in a family member's relationship? He doesn't entertain that because all of this, all of those consequences are really coming out of a fear-based approach. And there may be some truth to some of the conversations could be hard, um, but ultimately they need to happen. And we need to have the burden on our hearts to care enough about our brothers and sisters to actually act on that. I should also say that we don't know that the conversation will go poorly. <laughs> Most of the time, that's fear. You know, that's, that's in our brains of you know, being anxious about it or overthinking um, or trying to interpret you know, what, what are they going to do before it even happens. Um, but we're talking about a matter of life and death, right? Like, this is really serious stuff. And we owe it to each other um, to care enough. So as I was preparing this week and, and praying over these two verses, um, I had a very specific story pop into my brain. Um, I heard it from a podcast called uh, The Porch, which is part of Watermark Community Church in Dallas, Texas. And this specific teaching that I'm thinking of, uh, John Elmore shares a story about bog riders. And I had never heard this term before, um, but a bog rider is, is one of the responsibilities of a cowboy. So he's talking about um, the story his grandpa shared with him. And, and basically, cowboys are responsible for their cattle, keeping them safe, keeping them healthy. And part of that involves the really not fun but really important job of checking all the different uh, like muddy areas or swampy areas of your ranch property to see if any of your cattle got trapped there. Because sometimes cows will wander to try to get a drink and they get stuck or they're just they're cows and they're dumb and they just walk over and they get stuck in the mud. So the cowboys have to actually you know, check for them and once they find them, they have to park their horse, get off the horse, walk and trudge through the mud and the muck and the filth and get right up to the cow and tie like this specific loop, I don't know the knot, but some specific cow in the mud knot and get back on the horse and pull the, the cow out of the mud and he goes on to say in the story that that's exactly what Jesus does for us, that we get stuck in our ways, um, whether intentional or not, we get stuck in sin, and we can be um, completely helpless, and maybe we don't even know it. Um, and it requires Jesus to come and, and to save us. And similarly, I think the picture can be painted of, you know, we are collectively, let's just say, cows for this, for this example, but we're also the rancher. And so sometimes we get stuck and we need help. And sometimes we're the one who can help someone who's stuck. There's actually one instance in the Bible where the word bog can be found. Only one. It's in Psalms 42 verses 1 through 3 in the ESV translation. It says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. I think that in itself is a powerful section of verses, but I think it's even more powerful when you consider the context that this psalm was actually written by David, King David, who before he was a king was a shepherd. So he was very familiar with rescuing dumb cattle, his sheep, <laughs> that would wander 
and get stuck in muddy places or wet and their wool would wear them down and they could drown. And so he's saying, you know, David's putting himself in the steps of these sheep and saying, like, I've been there and, and God saved me from that. When we are wandering um, today, I don't think there are many mud pits or bogs in Columbus, so we're probably safe from that. <laughs> um, but I do think we can still fall into spiritual pits and get stuck. Sometimes we need help and we have to ask for it. Or sometimes we need help and we don't know to ask for it. And we have to rely on a brother or sister who's brave and loving enough to come and rescue us from the situation we are in. The worst thing that we could do collectively is to do nothing at all and pretend like we aren't at least partially responsible for helping that person. When we don't act on this and we don't seek out this opportunity to help one another, I think it, it points to a breakdown in our understanding of Christian values. We can be so scared or upset, or excuse me, we can be so scared to upset or offend other people that we run from difficult conversations in favor of a false sense of peace when that person is likely experiencing an invisible internal war. And we also don't know how the wanderer will respond until the conversation happens. It might be easy to assume that the conversation will go poorly and lead to you know, relational issues, but the reality is that sometimes people need encouragement and are actually thankful for the correction in the end. The important thing here is that we care enough about our brothers and sisters to empathize with them and act on our convictions here. So to kind of wrap this all up, James chooses to finish this book, his book, in the exact same way he wrote pretty much the rest of it, by prompting the reader to act. These last two verses uh, don't necessarily summarize the entire book of James, but it is important to keep in mind that this is how he chose to end it. He ends it with verses that are all about faith that leads to action. Let's choose to be people that respond to this high calling and truly love each other enough to pray for and redirect each other when we begin to wander. I'm going to pray for us here um, to kind of close out. Lord, I pray that you would soften our hearts to look for and seek out and listen to the people in our lives that are struggling. Um, God, I pray that you would just prompt our hearts with, um, you know, really minor things maybe even of, hey, maybe I should text that guy. I haven't seen him in a few months. Or I know that she just got a new job. I should give her a call and see how she's doing. Um, or I know that they are walking through a really hard time in their marriage. I should pray for them and I should call them. God, I pray that you place those convictions on our hearts, that we don't just think about it, we don't just feel bad for them, but that we would be pushed to action and we would actually love each other enough to do so. Lord, I pray that you would give us names of people um, that we maybe have uh, thoughts of them or dreams of them, um, that you would just remind us of the people in our lives that uh, may tend to wander or are currently wandering. And Lord, finally, I pray that you would give us courage and conviction to be a people of action and not just stand by. 
Lord, that these last two verses would really sit on our hearts and we wouldn't take it lightly, Lord, that we would uh, respond to the call, that we would act in faith and trust that you can move in incredible ways and you choose to use us. Thank you for your grace and thank you for the fact that your arms are always wide open when we turn back to you. Amen. So now we're going to go into our formation time, um, which is bringing or giving. Um, So you can do that online. There's also a box in the back you can put cash or checks in. Um, This is also a good time to just reflect on, you know, what what we just read through together in James um, and just kind of think about that. It's also a good time to pray. We have people in the back um, who would love to pray for you. I'm sure you could ask anyone next to you, um, and they'd pray for you as well. And lastly, I just want to read um, these reflection questions for us to think about. Oh, there's also communion. I should say that. We have communion in the front and the back, um, which if you, if you believe in Jesus, that is a representation of the sacrifice he made for us, his, his blood and his body broken for our sins. So these last reflection questions that I want to leave you with. Has someone saved you from wandering? If yes, how did you respond? How did it feel? And what is your response today bringing that before Jesus? Is there someone in your life that is drifting off course? Pray for discernment on how to talk with that person. Thank you for listening to the Contrast Church Podcast. To learn more about us and how you can be a part of it, visit contrast.church.